We are, on February 12th, we will celebrate our one-year anniversary. That's a Tuesday night, I believe. Uh, We don't know exactly what we're going to do, but mark your calendar and block it off. We're going to have a big celebration, uh, have a big dinner, and uh, we're going to tell you all that we've, we're going to show you where we've been over the last year, and we're going to talk about where we're going. This week has really been packed. I mean, I really found myself going from really early morning until uh, very late at night every single day with just opportunities that God is putting in our path. Uh, Monday, I have uh, a call with another individual who I know and respect greatly, uh, who's considering the possibility of being uh, another uh, face with the place, point uh, person, pastor for another influence church in all places, New Jersey, and, uh, and kind of getting that back. So we've had, uh, we've had almost one a week now conversations with people who want to launch an influence church somewhere in the world. So I believe that uh, my goal of, uh, of setting before you that we would do six Church plants this year will be very easily realized for the kingdom of God. And as I've said before, the beauty of the whole thing is that uh, we have not spent a penny on any church plants we've done so far. Uh, We have uh, actually, we did buy a monitor for the people in Abu Dhabi because they didn't transport with them. It wouldn't fit in their suitcase. But that's all we've spent. And God is just doing some really incredible things because it's organic. The Holy Spirit of God is spiritual, uh, is a spiritual organic movement. And what we want to do is we want to be a part of what the Holy Spirit of God is doing. And I want you right now, before we go any further, just quietly in your heart to pray something like this in your own words, in your own version of it is, Holy Spirit of God, right now, impress upon me what you want me to have a heart for. Change me. Give me uh, spiritual enlightenment and a spirit of understanding and wisdom and knowledge and understanding that I might really see the things of Almighty God, that I might know what God is, all, what you're all about, and that I might be an influential person for the kingdom of God. One of my spiritual heroes is a guy by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller was from Bristol, England, and he was uh, an amazing man who had launched a great ministry to orphans. But the thing that was most amazing about him was not his compassion, his heart for orphans. It was he was a great man of prayer. He gave away, they estimated, more than $3 million in 19 and 1800 money. Imagine what that was. He simply would pray and begin to to see the hand of God work. There was a great missionary named Hudson Taylor. He was a primary funder of Hudson Taylor's ministry of China Inland Mission. One of the things that Mueller said that I keeps going back in my mind is this quote, and I want to give it to you right now. Mueller said this, I live, I live in a spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk about when I lie down and when I rise up. And the answers are always coming. Thousands and ten thousands of times have my prayers been answered. When once I am persuaded that the thing is right and for the glory of God, I go on praying for it until the answer comes. That is what we need to be about. We need to be about the divine move of God in our life. It's not about going to church. It's about the kingdom of God and how God works in us and through us. When we lived in England, we decided to take a trip over to Wales, and we wanted to be there at, in Swansea where that 
great Welsh revival was moving and beginning, and there was the Bible College of Wales. And I remember going in there and talking to Samuel Howes. His father was Rhys Howes whose famous book really called The Intercessor about prayer. And I remember going into that room and sitting down with Samuel, who was probably at the time about 90 years of age, and hearing him tell me about the Great Welsh Revival and the effects of the Great Welsh Revival. And he talked about how it began in the valley, and it began to move up through the valleys and through those hills of Wales, and there was no explanation. Evan Roberts, the one that God had pulled to, to, to speak and speak the word of God and to bring the revival to Wales, was, a, was really a coal miner. He went to the coal miners, began to speak, but God began to stir, and there was a journey going on that was so powerful that they estimated some 300,000 people were, came to faith in Christ over a two-year period in Wales, and it jumped over to, to Europe, and, and it began to move across there, and they estimated in Great Britain and beyond over a million people came to faith in Christ in two years. That's not something you program. That was probably uncomfortable and messy all through that process, but God was working and God was moving, and that's what we want in our life. Amen. We want God to work and God to move. Amen. Give Him glory. And, uh, and as we think about this, I want to give you a wilderness report because as we go on this journey and we're in this wilderness with Israel, in part of that 40 years, I don't think the series will take 40 years, but it could. But here's the first thought that came to me. Wilderness prayer. Ask for the impossible. When you have nowhere to turn but God, when you've eliminated all your options but God, you begin to pray. Up until that point, you haven't prayed. You've made suggestions to the divine. You've given him a couple of pieces of advice of what would be nice in your life, but when you really realize that the only thing you can do is access God and seek God and find God, you begin to to really pray. How many of you know the, the truth that when you go through a dark point in your life or a difficulty or a trial or a struggle, that your prayer life seems to be more intense, it seems to be more powerful? What if we could live in that moment? What if we could see the world as God sees the world, as Jesus, as he looked over Jerusalem and wept because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, wandering aimlessly, nowhere to go, not knowing the the God of the universe. What if we could have that heart and those eyes? What would our prayer life be like on a daily basis? Secondly, on this journey, it's about moving heaven into earth. Jesus prayed when he taught the disciples, pray this way, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That's what he wanted. He wanted the kingdom of God to invade the kingdom of earth. He wanted there not to be this dichotomy between the two, but this merging where you could see the hand of God in everything you did and when you lived and when you breathed and when you thought. It was about prayer. That's why the Scripture tells us to pray at all times because there should not be this dichotomous world that we live in where two things are happening and they're separate. It was the church, not, not secular society, who came up with the idea of secular. Well, let's separate. You're different from us. No, let's merge this thing. Let's, let's invade the kingdom of earth. And here's a third wilderness report you may have heard before. It goes like this. You can be in the middle of a miracle and what? Not know it. We were talking this week. We were sitting around and just reflecting on the last year and and many things I've forgotten. And we began to laugh just about all that God has done and taken us on this journey. And and you begin to say, wow, we have been in a miracle. We didn't know the depth of it. 
we still don't know the depth of it. We don't know all that God is doing, but it is an amazing thing, and we want to enjoy all of that miracle that God has for us. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. Moses prays an audacious prayer. Have you ever asked God so strongly, so boldly for something that you almost wondered if he would kill you if you continued? That's prayer. That's believing prayer. God, where are you? Your word says. In 33.11, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. How'd you like to have that relationship with God? You ever sit face to face with a friend? We have a new conference table at our office, and it is awesome. It looks like it came right out of restoration hardware. And the thing I love about it, it's narrow. It's not broad. You know, you get in some of those big conference tables, and you feel like you know, you're in another time zone, the guy on the other side. Ours is narrow. And when you sit down at your face to face, and I thought about that week because we were sitting there, and we were just face to face. You know, you want to make sure you got breath mints handy at our conference table. And we're sitting there talking, and and I had this image because I knew I was preaching. This is what he's talking about. Right across from one another, you're face-to-face with God. Face-to-face with God. As we go on a little bit later in that that chapter, look what it says in verse 14. And he said, God said, my presence will go with you. You know, the first time the word presence is used, it's over there in the book of Genesis where it says the presence of God was in the garden. And Adam hid from the presence of God. You see, when you're not right with God, you want to hide from his presence. And you think the most effective way of doing that is just kind of take a break from church for a while and God won't find you. The psalmist said, where can I go from thy spirit? If I ascend into the heavens, behold, you are there. If I ascend into the lowest parts of the earth, behold, you are there. If I make my bed in sea or in hell, behold, thou art there. God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere all the time. You cannot run from him. You cannot hide from him. Once he put his seal upon you and you are the temple of the living God, you are sealed unto the day of redemption. You're God's. You're God's. You can run, but you can't hide. Amen? The presence of God. He says the presence will go with you. I have a funny feeling the presence of God has something to do with the manifestation of God. When I call upon his presence, when I just say, may the presence of God be present, there's something different physically, spiritually, and emotionally that affects me when I say that. I don't quite understand it. But I do affirm it, and I do want to encourage you to just beg his presence to be in your presence. He says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. You know, when you're in the presence of God, you have rest because he can handle it. He can handle it. I remember one time I was a little kid, and I was walking out of Dairy Queen and eating an ice cream cone, and I was kind of a chubby little kid. I love to eat. I still love to eat. I still fight all the time. I've lost millions of pounds of weight in my lifetime. I'm sure I will do it over and over again. The only good thing about me is I have a long top. So when I stand up, it kind of stretches out real good. You know what I'm talking about? And I was walking out, and I was on this little ice cream, and, and some kids, older kid said something to me like, hey, you know, some, some term referring to my physique. Well, I, I didn't want to get in a fight. I was incapable of a fight at that moment. I was eating an ice cream. 
And then all of a sudden, I heard this booming voice of a colonel, my dad. Hey, kid, you want to fight me? I looked over and I saw my dad. And the bully became a coward. I want to tell you something. You're the kid with the ice cream. Satan's the one who's calling you names. And God the Father is, hey, you want to fight me? You never have to worry. When you travel with God, you travel with good company. He says, he says, my presence will go with you. And look what he says here. Then he said unto him, look, Moses is telling God something. I love this. Lecture 101, Moses to God. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. He's essentially saying, I'm not going. If you're not going with me, I'm not going. From now on, then, it will be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight. God, I want this to be a changing point in history. I want everyone to know that you are our God, that grace has taken us this far, and you're going to give us peace and rest all along the journey. That's a pretty bold prayer, would you not agree? He says, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I. Now look, he's saying, we're going to be unique. We're not going to be like everybody else. I believe God has taken this church and he's made it unique. I believe there's something very unique about you. I think the heart that we have, I think the heart that you have for God is unique. And if I could just recount all the miracles and all the things we're seeing, this is just not normal, guys. We shouldn't be buying a $3 million building 10 months into our history. We just shouldn't. Churches don't do that. We shouldn't see all the miracles that we've seen. Churches just typically don't do that. We shouldn't see the heart we have for ministry. We shouldn't see that unless the divine God is working in our midst. And I want you to know you're unique. And look what he says here. We want to be a separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said unto Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. What great words you hear from God. I'm going to do what you've said. Thank you for the suggestion. Thank you for the prayer. I'm following your advice. That's what God is essentially saying. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. How good is that? Let me talk to you a little bit about a bold request. It brings God's presence. Because, see, prayer affects three different spheres in our world. It affects the divine. When you pray, you know what you're doing? You're touching God. You ever walk up to somebody and put your arm on and you get their attention? And they turn around and go, yeah, can I help you? When you have a bold prayer, you're touching God. You're getting God's attention. God says, what do you want? That's what I, I want to hear from you. The disciples on one occasion where uh, Jesus spoke to them and said, up until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that your joy might be full. Ask, ask, ask. It also affects the angelic and the demonic. Do you realize when you pray, you're dispatching angels? Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was praying, his prayers were hindered. The angel shows up, and he's, Michael shows up, and he says, I have been delayed, I've been battling with the prince of Persia. I will go on to battle the prince of Greece, but let this be known to you that your prayers are answered. You begin, when you pray, you begin to affect the angelic and the demonic world. You also begin to affect humans. You see, when you begin to pray, you can turn the heart of people. Hudson Taylor, that missionary to China, said, it's possible to move men by prayer alone. You want to really get somebody's attention? Start praying for them. 
You want to you get them to ignore you? Try to convince them. Sit down and try to persuade them. All you have to do is step back and pray. Just sit back and pray. I was asking God for a certain amount to come in in the month of December, and we exceeded that amount. And I told my wife, I said, I prayed too small a prayer. I did. That's what went wrong. It's my fault. I take responsibility. Now, you have to take responsibility to make up for what I should have prayed for. Amen? <laughs> There's another great, uh, every great movement of, 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 that happens in the world and the advancement of the gospel always begins with prayer. You know what I want to see you doing? I remember back to when we were in Savvy Ranch. We had, that was our one-night stand. We were only there one night, all right? We outgrew it in one night. But you know what I remember about that night, and I want it to happen again? I remember people stood around, and they were in circles of prayer. Everybody seemed to be praying. They weren't trying to get out as fast as they could. They were praying. I want a culture of prayer and power and faith to be a part of what we do. Amen? One of the great uh, writers on prayer was a man by the name of E.M. Bounds. And let me just read to you what he wrote. He said, praying men are essential to Almighty God. Praying men are essential to Almighty God in all of his plans and all of his purposes. God's secrets, counsels, and cause have never been committed to prayerless men. You're not going to see the secrets of God. You're not going to get the counsels of God unless you pray. Neglect of prayer has always brought a loss of faith, a loss of love, and a loss of prayer. Failure to pray has been the baneful, inevitable cause of backsliding and estrangement from God. Prayerless men have stood, now listen to this, prayerless men have stood in the way of God fulfilling his word and doing his will on earth. They tie divine hands and interfere with God in his gracious designs. As praying men are a help to God, so prayerless men are a hindrance to him. Powerful words. God loves bold faith. Crazy bold faith. We've said it repeatedly, and I know you probably think I'm crazy when I say it. Hey, we're just going to believe God for something, and if it doesn't come through, it's his problem. I'm going to do my part. I can't do his part. Your part, God, is to come through. You said pray, believe, and you shall receive. We're just going to keep doing that, and we're going to see what you open up and see what doors open up. Your faith declaration will bring about an invasion of the supernatural. Things are going to change. One simple act of boldness for Jesus can ignite hundreds to bold faith have you ever been on someone that just believes god and they start talking you say well i just believe god's going to do this and do that and before long you're going yeah well me too how about the opposite you're talking to somebody well you know i know he you know i feel said that but you know that's crazy he's crazy well that may be true but that's not the point here tonight right now that's well that's another issue we'll deal with later in therapy right now we're talking about faith Faith, just trust, believe God. The kind of faith that stands against all odds, the kind of faith that is unashamed to say God will, the kind of faith that brings God's presence to earth. Whenever people are exposed to the works of God, there is an increase in a desire to follow God. There is an increase in in a desire to make his name known, just to talk about Jesus, amen? 
Don't you love the name Jesus? You know why I love the name Jesus? Because he saves us. But I love the name Jesus because Satan hates the name Jesus. We were, this week we were up here and we were going through some of the back projection rooms. And we were talking to, uh, uh, to one of the guys that works here. And he says, you know, some people think we have ghosts in this building. I go, we do. Really? I go, yeah, we got the Holy Ghost. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Just turn the Holy Ghost loose in here and he'll, he'll be fine. I, uh, before the, light, the uh, signs changed out front, it had the sign up above it. It said uh, parental guidance. And I thought, yeah, yeah, we launched some parental guidance here at this church. That's a great name for a church, parental guidance. Come on in and guide your children in the way they ought to go, in the way that you ought to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I, I'm thinking about doing a whole series on movie titles. Resident Evil, man, we could talk about that for a couple of weeks, right? That's a good one. How about Les Mis? I mean, I'm, great movie, by the way. Have you seen it? Great movie. I'm telling you, the singing reminds me of mine. Some of you have heard me sing. You know it ain't true, right? All right, bold prayers. Let me talk to you a little bit about bold prayers. They increase the presence of God. God shows up. When you get bold, and you think God's really impressed with your prayer like this, God just bless us and bless our day, amen. Let me tell you something, that gives me a pain I can't locate. What does that mean? Bless us and bless this day. What kind of blessing do you want, the blessing of Job? That's a blessing, God calls it a blessing. How about, how about the, the blessing of the persecution of the nation of Israel? God calls that a blessing. He even calls it the mercies of God in Romans chapter 12. He said, I beseech you, therefore, uh, because of Romans chapter 9 through 11, about how God separated Israel out and made that put a blinder over so, to keep them from seeing the gospel so that they would grow hungry for God. He calls that the blessing. You see what I'm talking about? Let your prayers be specific. Let them be bold. And then also, bold prayers create an atmosphere of boldness. You see, when the spine of one man is stiffened, it stiffens the spine of a hundred men, Billy Graham said. Invite God to act according to your faith. If you don't have enough faith, increase your faith. Bill Johnson put it like this. Once a person has an encounter with God... By the way, you're ruined. Once you get a good encounter with God, you're ruined for anything less. Amen? There is an increase in the hunger for the presence of the Lord, and the miracles are just a byproduct. Because it's really all about hungering after God. Second thought, let me give you this one, a bold request. It honors God. When you, ask, uh, when you walk in God's favor and you're under the anointing of the Spirit, you can expect the forces of hell to plot against you and try to silence you, but here's the good news. They will be unsuccessful. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three guys who were thrown in the fiery furnace, and they said, you know what, if God delivers us, that's great, but let it be known unto you, O God, that we will not bow down, we will not worship. Well, that's boldness. You think those guys were feeling good about throwing them in the fiery furnace? King comes down, he looks, he said, how many guys did we throw in there? They said, three. Well, why is there four in there now and one, and the fourth is like the son of the God? What's going on here? He says, they came out of the fire, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. You say, do you believe that? I absolutely believe that. If God could save me, that's a bigger miracle than getting three guys out of the fire. How about Daniel in the lion's den? Throws him in the lion, and then the king doesn't even want to do it. He says, oh, God. He says, he comes down. He says, Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you? He said, yeah, I'm fine down here. It was the lions that were in trouble. 
You want to live your life so the lion is in trouble. Because he's a roaring lion. He seeks someone to devour. And all you have to do is, in the name of Jesus, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and the Bible says he will flee from you. You see, God obligates himself to his promises. Now, this is a very important spiritual principle. God obligates himself to his promises. If God said it, then he is obligated to do it. Isaiah 64, 4, listen to this. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you. Now, now here's the key. Who acts for the one who waits for him. You wait on God, he acts for you. God is obligated by his promises. Also, God expects that you will pray boldly. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it might be given. Got a 50-50 chance. Isn't that what it says in Matthew 7? Ask, and it what? It doesn't mean that, though, really, right? I mean, we don't really believe that, do we? Ask, and it will be given. That's what it says. Seek, and you might find... What's it say? You will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you for everyone who asks receives. There it is. And everyone who seeks, he finds. And everyone who knocks, it will be opened. That's the promise of God. God is obligated by his promise. I go back to that and I say, God, you said it. It's your issue now. All I'm going to do is walk in faithfulness before you. You have to perform what your word says you would do. Let God be God. You're, you're bad at God. You imagine, imagine Lemus was God? What a sad state of affairs that would be. But it would be true for any one of us, amen? Because we're not qualified to be God. Besides, boldness expands your gifts and your anointing. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. For all the promises of God in him are what? Yes. God says the promises in Christ are yes. And in him, Amen. So be it. To the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God. You're anointed. God put his spirit on you. He anointed you. Who also sealed us and given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. If you're taking notes, just right next to that Ephesians 4.30, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God uh, unto the day of redemption. You're sealed. God has put the signet ring of the king on you. You're safe, you're secure in Christ, amen? It, you know, you say, I just want to get out of this Christian life. I've had guys say, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. I said, good luck. You know what you're like? You're like a fish that jumps out of an aquarium. You're not happy in either environment. You're the fish who wants to get out of the water, and you get out of the water on dry land, you go, what am I doing? The most miserable person on earth is not a person without Christ. It's a person who knows Jesus and who's not living for him. And God releases the hounds of heaven on you and chases you down until you submit unto the Lord Jesus Christ. I promise you, you are done. Done. Just get away from God. Say, I'm just not going to follow God anymore and see what he does. By the way, sometimes God's greatest judgment on you is neglect. Isaiah chapter 5. He just takes his hand off for a while and lets you go your own devices, mess up your life royally, and then you come to a place like the prodigal son where you come back to your senses. Luke chapter 15, and say, gosh, I've got to get back to God. I've got to get back to God. Boldness silences the power of the enemy. I love this scripture. It was quoted last night by Baltimore when they beat the Broncos. And I'm glad the Broncos lost, and I'm from Denver. 
because of what they did to Tebow. That man stood for Jesus Christ, and they, they got rid of him because they wanted to silence his voice. It wasn't his ability to play the game. I know we have discrepancies here. I know sports is an open field game here, but I'm right. That Baltimore player came out and he said, he quotes this scripture. The guy, the guy's interviewing him, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Doesn't have a clue. I'm watching this guy and he's saying, oh, that's probably cool, yeah. And he says, I want to give glory to God because no weapon formed against you will prosper. He quoted Isaiah 54 on national TV. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That's your heritage. That's your inheritance. That's what God gives you. Here's your heritage. You know what it is? No weapon formed against you will prosper. Amen? And their righteousness is from me. You don't have any righteousness. You know, you, you get in, sometimes people think, well, I'm, you know, I'm better than so, so and so. No, you're not. You're a degenerate. You're a sinner saved by grace. But for the grace of God, the only righteousness you have is what has been imparted and imputed to you by the relationship you have in Jesus Christ, and therefore you are justified by faith, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, and you have peace with God through whom we have received this reconciliation and this grace in which we now stand. Hallelujah to God. Amen? It's about Him. It's about Him. Bold request moves heaven and earth. Matthew 13, 44. I love the word of God. It just, it's just refreshing, isn't it? It's just like cleansing that comes from heaven. Listen to what it says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid. And for joy, he goes over and sells all that he has and buys the field. You see, he found something in the field, and he knew that whatever was in that field was the owner. So he said, I'm going to sell everything I have. I'm going to buy that field, and that which I find in the field is going to be mine. And it says the kingdom is like that. It says sell everything you have and get the kingdom. Give everything you have for the kingdom. Sacrifice everything you have for the kingdom, because if you have the kingdom, you have everything thing you need. God tried to remind the Levites of that when they went into the land of Israel. They didn't get land. All the other tribes got land. You know what they, God said to them? I will be your inheritance. I wonder if some of those guys says, well, we got gypped. Are you kidding me? I want some land. No, I'm your inheritance. If you've got me, you've got everything you need. Don't you worry about that. I'll take care of you. You go buy the field. Matthew 9, 35, then Jesus went about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the kingdom, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You see, when he preached the kingdom, a message, something happened. People's lives were changed. They were transformed. Luke chapter 12, verses 29 through 32, and do not seek what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor have an anxious mind. You ever done that? Oh, I'm worried. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? That's not from God. It's human. We all do it. It's just not what God's plan for you is. God got, you can say something like this, God, I am anxious. You know that. I'm a little worried in my humanness, but God, I want to release that to you because you are, you, I'm your child. You have an obligation according to your word. Look at verse 30. For all who seek these things, the nations of the world seek after. In other words, not this nation, not this spiritual nation, and your father knows that you need these things, but seek first, or seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added. Seek what? The kingdom. Seek the kingdom. 
Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the what? The kingdom. Do you know that you're a king in the kingdom of God? You're kings and priests. You're a royal uh, per- personage. You're, God has brought us together for a purpose. We're not to go through motions and be Christians and just kind of have some kind of an ethic that we adopt and kind of go, oh, yeah, he's a good Christian guy. You know, heck with being a good Christian guy. We want you to be a spiritually minded, turned on, powerful instrument for the kingdom of almighty God. Amen? We got enough Christians in the world that aren't doing anything. We need kingdom servants. We need powerful agents for God. We need to chase hell out of town. We need to heal a nation. I mean, clearly Washington is clueless. I'm sorry, they're just clueless. That's why we got a king that reigns in heaven, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and one day all nations will bow at his feet, all crowns will be on his head, and he will come announcing his return in Revelation 19.11. And on his, on his thigh and on his chest will be those words written, the word of God. The word of God will prevail. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, I have heard your prayer. That's what I want to hear God say. I heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. You know what he said? My temple will be a place of sacrifice. I think it meant two things. I think, one, number one, you're going to offer up here a sacrifice is going to be representative of the coming Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But I also think we as an assembled body, we, we can't advance this kingdom without sacrifice. We have to sacrifice our time, our talent, our money. We have to sacrifice. We were driving through the parking lot just yesterday, and there was a family, uh, um, two little kids and a mom and a dad, and they had a sign, and, and uh, they wanted some money. And my first inclination was yours. Ah, keep going. They're probably doing pretty well. And it was kind of like the Spirit of God through my wife just said, you know, I think we should go. And I said, I think you're right. We turned around, and she looked in her wallet, and she didn't have any small bills. And she pulled that out, and she said, well, this is all I have. I said, well, that's plenty. What are you going to do, give them a buck? She said, you're right. I tell you what, we went around there. It was a spiritual experience. I don't know if they're legit or not. But the, the, the appreciation and the gratitude, the man was crippled. He had a hard time getting to the car. Gave him the money. The little boy, he was about eight or nine years old. Thank you so much. I mean, it looked, it was the most sincere thing I've ever seen in my life. It was a spiritual act. It was worship. It's not my responsibility what they do with the money. It's my responsibility to do what is right and what the Spirit of God prompts me to do. Amen? What am I going to do with that money anyway? I love it. People say, well, he'll probably use it on alcohol. Well, so do you. What's the big deal? That dude needs a beer more than you do. Let's be honest. Amen? (laughs) Crazy how we think. Well, he'll probably waste it. I waste money all the time, don't you? I buy clothes I know won't fit me. 
Why do I do that? Then they hang in the closet and just defy me to put them on. Just try me. It's important that we develop our heart. We have to have a heart for the kingdom. Look what he says. Verse 13, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain. God does that sometimes. That's his plan. I'm going to stop for a little while. I'm going to let you know that I'm God. I'm going to shut up the heavens so there's no rain. I'll command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I, uh, or I send a pestilence among the people. Because I want to get you to verse 14. See, I took you through verses 12 and 13 to get you to 14 is what God's saying. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. There it is again, remember? Remember we started? Is Exodus 33, 11, that God talked to Moses face to face as one man talks to another man. He says, if you will pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. The, blood, the land that we live in cries out. It's the greatest nation on earth. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But the blood cries out in our land for the healing that comes from the hand of Almighty God. Verse 15, now my eyes, my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to prayer made in this place. See, God wants to listen better. He wants to listen more. We just have to position ourselves for that. And now I have chosen and I have sanctified this house that my name, that my name may be there forever and my heart and my eyes there perpetually. That's the presence of God. That's the presence. My presence will go with you, said God. I find myself saying it. I want you to just say it to yourself. May your presence go with I invite your presence here, almighty God. May the power and the presence of God lead us and guide us in all that we do. Here's a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. And I love this one. Make your request as large as God. We pray too small of things with too little faith. Don't make your prayers something your neighbor can answer for you. Oh, God, I pray my car starts. Unless you have a really bad car, it's not a great prayer. <laughs> I remember when I was in college, and, and I was taking a couple extra Greek classes, and there was a gal who was always late, and she came running in, and she was always talking about what God had done. And I, we just loved her because she was just like always just racing in. Her hair was never done. It was always wet, pulled in a ponytail, racing in, you know. And she was always late, apologizing, and then telling us the miracle that God had done that day. And I, you just wanted to take the class for her. Heck with every, what was learning, you know. And she came running in one day. She said, I'm so late. I ran. I, was compl- I went out to start my car. It was completely out of gas. I didn't have any gas. I didn't have a gas can. I wanted to get to class. I did the only thing I knew to do. I went and got the hose, and I put it in my tank. Now, I know something about cars, as you do. I mean, I know the good Lord can turn, you know, wine and, you know, take water and turn it into wine, but I didn't know he could do, you know, 86 octane. And so I thought, well, it's probably in the line. It probably just kind of primed the pump and got it going. I said, well, how far did you drive? She said, I drove over 20 miles. I said, you need to keep using that because 
That's cheap gas. I never got the follow-up story to see if the car's still running or not. You know, God does weird stuff sometimes, amen? I mean, I can't figure him out. Sometimes God doing something, I go, are you kidding, God? Really? Yeah, that's kind of the way I work. I mean, think about this. Let me just kind of, before I take you to the next one, because this is this last uh, life application I want to give you. Think about this. Here's a guy who's blind. Jesus decides on this particular occasion he's going to spit in the ground, take a little bit of dirt, and stick it in the guy's eye. I mean, that's in the Bible. You go, really? That's in, that's in the Bible. So he takes his spit, puts a little dirt in there, stirs it up. He's making like paste. Now, this guy can't see. You ever get a speck in your eye? Jesus is putting a dirt clod in your eye. <laughs> puts the dirt clod in his eye, says, how's it? He says, yeah, it works. That doesn't make any sense. That makes as much sense as water in a gas tank. I am not recommending anybody fill your car up today. <laughs> If you do, it's at your own cost. We may have a mechanic in the church that can help you, but it's at your own cost. God does unusual things. Here's a second life app. The impossible thrills the heart of God. It just thrills the heart of God. Thrills the heart of God. A few months back, we started the, men, uh, the men's Bible study. And we regularly have, I don't know, somewhere between 50 and and 75 men that show up on Monday nights. I challenged my son, who pastors down in San Diego. You know Josh. He's preached here before. I said, why don't you do the same thing he did? had the same success. And before long, he said, I think we ought to, I'm going to name mine Man Up. I said, I like the idea. I like the name. Kind of cool. You know, ask a guy to man up. Some of you guys have been in my Bible uh, studies. You know that we we have an object lesson. We help you to understand that principle. But... um, but he said, you know, Dad, I think uh, we're going to build an app. And so we, four of us got together. I'm not the designer or the builder of it, just kind of one small component in the whole thing. said, I think we ought to try to see if we can reach more men for the kingdom of God with this app and challenge men to be men. I said, what do you think, what, how many reach do you think we can get? He said, Dad, I think we ought to get a half million men or reach on this thing, half million. I go, okay, well, let's just start working. I mean, I, it thrilled me because I thought, that's a big goal, but... Is it too big? Just two connections we made, the reach just on these two, two sites. One is 5 million. One is 1 million. We've got every major men's ministry right now in America are represented on that app. Everything from Promise Keepers to Coalition for Men's Ministries, I mean, you name it, to gotquestions.org, and we launched it on Christmas Day because we knew guys would be bored out of their brain after they ate the Christmas lunch and not know what to do. <laughs> the next big push is Valentine's Day. <laughs> you make the application, amen? <laughs> we do have a link on there, though, so you can order flowers right off it, and we don't make one penny from it. There's not one penny generated on this from anything we do on the Man Up app. Everything has been paid for by the guys that have put it together because we want men to be men. Here's a second life app. The impossible thrills the heart of God. The impossible thrills the heart of God. Make it big, make it bold. Get gutsy with God. Put God up against the wall and say, God, you promised. What are you going to do for me? Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray. Fathers, we pray. We pray. 
with boldness, God. We, we declare it to be so. We thank you, God, for the building you've given us. We thank you, God, for the people you've given us and the ministry you've given us for the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, we want to uh, just acknowledge that you are great and you are mighty. And Father, you have assembled this people uh, that have identified themselves as influenced church. You've, uh, you've assembled us, God, for a kingdom purpose. God, may we be radical. May we be bold. Father, may we see the miracles of God unfold before our eyes on a daily basis. God, we pray for the salvation of those who don't know Christ. God, even now as we pray, we know there's some that may not know you. We pray that they will call upon your name. We pray that they will acknowledge the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and that they will just speak the name of Jesus loud and boldly for the kingdom. We pray, God, for those who are healing and those who are hurting. God, we pray that the ministry of the Spirit of God will work and be ministering to them even now. I thank you, God, for uh, the people that have served here, the staff we have, and just the great opportunities we have for the kingdom of God.